Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Welcome to Courtside Conversation. I'm your girl, Allie Love. After years on the hardwood as the in-arena host for the Brooklyn Nets, it's time for me to take it courtside. We're here with artists, athletes, and all of our favorite people to break down the game called life. We're getting real about the grow up and the glow up. So let's take a seat. Folks, welcome to Courtside Conversation. I'm your girl, Ali Love, and I am so thrilled. My guest today, Quinn92, is a singer, songwriter, hailed from Detroit, Michigan. Since debuting under Columbia Records in 2017, Quinn has continued to release certified gold tracks. His fifth record, The People's Champ, is out now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Quinn 92, can we take a seat courtside and get into this game, Four Quarters, called Your Life? Thank you so much for joining. Yes. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's, it's, I, I saw you, I was at the Nets game, like, I don't know, what, what was it, maybe a month ago now? Um, and I saw you doing your thing on the court. You have a busy job, man. You're like running around, like you're you're like all over the arena. And I was just chilling. I was like, she's working hard. So. <laughs> you <laughs> mean you were just on. enjoying the game? Good, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, do you ever no, get no. to just like? Do you ever get to just like watch and just chill, or is it like not not really an option? Not an option. I mean, in between my hits, so in between the timeouts, I do obviously watch the game. I talk to the players. I sit, like I have a seat courtside. So I literally yeah. like talk to the players. Like I'm, I'm also coach. I'm also a coach. You didn't know that I was also Jack Vaughn doesn't even know that I'm also a coach of the nets, but I too coach the players as well in between no my live hits. That's what I do. <laughs> That's crazy. Damn. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. Let's step into our first quarter. All right. Tip off in this sense. So music is a love language for you. It is mm-hmm. A form of communication that you do very well, not because I said it, not because you said it, but because the response from the community have said it. How did you fall in love and or how did you know that this form of communication was going to be your form of communication to pursue for so many years? I think, yeah, I love that question. I think I I always had a knack for for storytelling at a young age. I, I took like a lot of creative writing classes and um, I was also very, I was always a very imaginative kid and 
would put on like plays with my cousins for my family at like Thanksgiving gatherings and was just always very like, I don't want to say theatrical, but, but always trying to be front and center and perform for people. And I thought, I don't know what it was. I just had that knack, I think, as a kid. And then as I got older, like I said, I got more into writing and stuff and noticed that like writing and like poetry and storytelling, it felt just a lot more. I could say things in the way I wanted to much better than a typical conversation. Like if I wrote it down, I could I could express to you exactly what I was thinking Um better than if you just asked me, like you just asked me this question. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. I could probably give you right now a better answer if I just wrote it down. Um, and yeah, I just, I just started to get familiar with like how my brain worked. And um, as I got older, I, I, I just fell in love with storytelling and, and ended up writing my own music. But yeah, I guess to answer your question, like I just, I always thought like writing came very natural to me and the use of language and the use of saying things in like witty creative ways um not only did i enjoy it but i felt my ideas and like thoughts on the world were just better expressed that way and more Mm -hmm. visual rather than rather than me just i don't know on the spot giving you an answer um i I sometimes get nervous and i'm like add and i i don't know what to say but i think when i like can focus and write something down it comes out way more, uh, way more naturally. So in the D that I, I assume you call it the D, right? Yeah. In Detroit, growing up in your household, if you could give us an inside look into your household, was this form of communication accepted? And the reason I asked that is because as a dancer, you know, I found, fell in love with dance after getting hit by a car when I was nine years old. And oh, within wow. that, within that space, my father and I, the relationship shifted because my dad loved the arts. He loved sports. Like he was a sports guy, but there was something about the arts that he always respected. And mm-hmm. I felt like we went deeper in our relationship. And so our communication ended up getting better after I found dance, you know, at a young wow. age. What was it like in your households in Detroit when you're like, you know, this is how I express myself with the plays and the cousins. And you're probably directing everyone to do these things and putting <laughs> on these performances. What was your family's response? I mean, they were, I'm so, I'm so fortunate and blessed that they were always just very supportive. I think, I think any parent probably, if their kid says, you know, Hey, I want to be a football player or a singer, or, you know, some of these occupations that we as like a society sort of put on this, like, you know, dream job sort of label. And we kind of tell kids like, Oh yeah, go for it, go for it. But in the back of our heads, we're not necessarily thinking, you know, it's not something that I think parents want kids to bank on in fear that they're going to have their dreams crushed. And um, and so my parents, I mean, even if they thought that, which we joke about now, my dad t- tells me all the time, he's like, look, I always told you go for it, but I never thought in a million years this was going to work out. I'm just glad that he and my mom just never, never uh, took that dream away from me. I think, I think that's the worst thing. I don't have kids, but I, I imagine the worst thing you can do is to tell a kid that they, they can't do something because um, even though, even if it seems unrealistic, like I think it's very important to always instill that, that inspiration and that sky's the limit sort of mentality for like young people. And so, yeah, I mean, my parents were always, my parents are huge music fans. They weren't mm. musicians themselves, but like Motown and like 
Mm. Um, I don't know, like, like all this early soul music, like Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, like that's the stuff they played around the house for me growing up. And I would watch them have parties and like music was the thing that orchestrated the whole night. And, um, so while they weren't necessarily like musically inclined themselves, they, they had great taste in music and I was always around great music. And so it was easy for them to like root for me, but I bet in the back of their minds, they were a little skeptical, but, but I had that support system and I had, I had something to fall back on as far as just a group of people that loved me and supported what I was doing, even if it seemed like a pretty outlandish, uh, like idea to go for. Um, but I think I'm looking back, I'm really fortunate because I easily could have been, it's easy to like talk a kid out of doing something and, and, and to make them feel like they, they can't achieve it. And so again, I'm just very fortunate that they never made me feel that way. And, uh, I just kept going with it. Yeah. That's dope. I agree. It's like, sometimes we allow our fears and, or, you know, even as adults, our uh, purview of reality to affect and influence, um, the dreams or the way kids should look at their dreams or their trajectories. And we, and, and the intentions are good. I can see as an adult, even now you have like a 10 a year old and they're like, Oh, I want to do this. And I'm like, no, you don't. I've been there. But I think it's, it's more, I think what's more important is allowing what, which it sounds like your family did very well. And, and to what you're saying, allowing you to figure it out on your own, to go through that. Take us to. You're young. When's your first kind of like, quote unquote, it didn't have to be a massive amount of people, but first performance, solo performance. And what was that like for you? And what was the response from your family then too? Yeah. Oh, wow. I think, it, okay. So I'm trying to really, uh, I'm trying to go back to the archives <laughs> of my life. Uh, I think it was, so I went to Michigan state and I had a, I, uh, I was asked to perform at a charity fashion show at the University of Michigan, which was like 45 minutes down the road from where I was was studying. And um, I think they needed like a performer last minute because someone dropped out. And I I drove like 45 minutes to Ann Arbor, which is where the U of M is, and had like a burnt CD on me in my backpack and gave it to the DJ and like performed like I think it was like 30 minutes of music. And it was for all these college kids. And the stage was like, even like it, it wasn't elevated. It was like on the same surface as the audience. So you couldn't even really see more than the first row of people, which is not yeah. an ideal situation. If you're like on a microphone trying to like, I'm sure you understand, like getting people's attention you, you don't, yeah, it's, it's hard. So, um, it was terrible and it was, it was like, it was, it was nerve wracking, but like through that, through that nerve wracking and like, oh my gosh, type of feeling. I still had this, this is what I was meant to do type of like assurance in me and, and excitement. And I think, I think that feeling was something I just used as sort of my compass moving forward. Like I even graduated college and had to get a job like a few years after this and worked an insurance company in Detroit and still had that feeling in me. Like every time I made music, every time I performed, I had this like I have to, I have to follow that intuition and that feeling. And so even though that, that, even though that first performance was, was God awful and, and embarrassing, I still got out of it something really, really special that I wasn't getting that other things in my life weren't giving me that same fulfillment. And so I, I, I trusted that feeling as something I should, 
I should follow. Um, but Wait, yeah, why was that, it awful? Was it like an awful reaction from the crowd? Was the music not right? Like, why was it awful when you look at that? When you look at that performance, what made it awful? I think it was just my uh, my delivery and my my confidence and my stage presence just was uh-huh. not there. Um, and I think I, I've always thought actually performing kind of came natural to me, um, but for some reason that first <laughs> I, I I think I went into it much more confident than I than than I probably should have been because I, by the time I got on stage, I, I just, I just kind of froze up in, um, I think, I think the audio was also really bad. The microphone was feedbacking. It was like drunk college kids, like talking the whole time and I'm trying to get their attention, but you have, you have to go through those rough patches to really appreciate the, the good ones. And so I can, now that I can play shows where I'm confident and I have an amazing band behind me and the sound is, is good and everything. The audio is, is not <laughs> feedbacking or whatever. <laughs> I, I look back at those moments like we're talking about now is like, yeah, like I had to go through the the rough parts to like to appreciate the good stuff. So uh, I'm glad I, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad like you have to you have to experience those to really to, to yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's true. I think it's like when you go for a race, right? Like I, I don't run a ton, but, you know, I've run a couple half marathons and it's almost like you got to run a couple half marathons and come out the blocks too hot, which is kind of what you said. Like in yeah. that performance, you came out too hot. You were overconfident. But the takeaway is that you know what not to do next time. You may not know exactly what to do each time, but you know from each experience, you know what not to do. And that shapes that and cultivates that performance. Um, yeah. I will say... I don't think you were set up for success anyway for this event. And the reason for that is 30 minutes of music as a solo performer is a lot to ask from somebody. Who's the person that asked you to do that? Where are they? I, I mean, that's don't you right? A song yeah. is like three to five minutes. So you're giving eight songs. That's I feel like front to like front to back. That's a lot. So kudos for lot. you. You ran a marathon in music without <laughs> even training technically for the marathon. Like that's dope. So I, I, I deem that yeah. successful. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, it it is a lot, actually. I mean, and and especially like my first show, like definitely, definitely was a lot of music and and also music that like I was still remembering the lyrics to. And so it was just a lot of like, you could tell like I did not really, I wasn't that prepared, but I I wanted to, I was like, at some point I have to do my first show. Like back then, back in that year, I was like, I got to just like rip the bandit off. So like, I knew it wasn't going to be great, but Again, you gotta, you gotta go through those uncomfortable moments to, you know, to A, get better, but B, to appreciate the success that you'll hopefully get in the future when, when that comes. And, and, um, but yeah, 30 minutes of music is, it's even now 30 minutes of music for me is long. So I'm surprised I did that back when I was a nervous college kid. (laughs) I find, I find 30 minutes of anything, to be honest, is a long time. So I'm here for it. Um, Yeah, they say don't let the perfect be the enemy of good. Enemy of good. It's like to your point, like mm. rip the bandaid off. When was that time where you had a? I won't say your best performance of your life, but a solid performance. Like when did that come for you? At, at what point in your career? Now you've had this first show. You're looking ahead. You're like, okay, I have this feeling that I cannot. That is irresistible inside. I want yeah. to explore what this is for me. You're doing the work. You're meeting the people. You're r- doing the writing. You're working on your craft. When was that performance where you walked off stage and you were just like? That was solid. Like that went the way it was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe a year after that point. Um, I got asked cool. to play a small college show in, I want to say New Jersey, uh, Centenary College. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's like a small school in New Jersey. And they they were having like a student ran 
Saturday, like, um, it was called, oh my gosh, what was it called? Uh, something in the quad. It was like in their sort of like open area on campus. And again, there was like maybe 30 students there, but something about that performance, I finally felt like I had, I had the body language down and I was like, my, my tone was good. And I got on stage and like it's, it's something clicked where I was like, this is how it's supposed to feel. I don't, I don't really know what that was. I think it was just a lot of repetition and it finally paid off and that I got off stage and it wasn't, it finally wasn't me getting off stage. Like, Oh my God, that was terrible. Let's just get out of here before anyone sees me. It was like, I want to stick around. I want to meet everyone who is there. I want, like, I was proud of myself for doing that. And it just takes one of those moments to like, give you that feeling of like, okay, I want to keep getting better at this. For me, I just love performing that I, I felt, I felt called to always come back and play shows, but that show, it went well enough where I was like, okay, I want to like go on tour. I want to do this for a living. I, I want to like, like I, I can do this. It, and so it was a big confidence booster for sure. Um, again, I can't really tell you what it was. <laughs> I think maybe it was just something that day that yeah. I just, I had a little bit more of a spark and more confidence, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, I think, it's funny. but I think it's beautiful that you were, the thing is, I, sometimes we go through life and we forget those turning points. And I think the turning yeah. points are actually the most meaningful part of the stories. And we forget when was that moment? When was that unlock? Or when was that shift? And it's like you, th those are the quote unquote highs that you ride for years where you're just like, I kind of know the base, the foundation of this performance from that experience, from that unlock. And that's what's gotten you to the next unlock. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I, and I think just like being able to acknowledge that moment, but also for me, for me, I try not to like dig into like, okay, what did I do? Why was this different? Like, okay, if that was good, like, let's make sure I do that same thing the next show. And I, mm -hmm. like, I've tried doing that in the past and it does not work. And that like, even with writing songs, I'll be like, okay, I just wrote a great song. It got a bunch of plays. How do I make that same thing the next time around? And I've realized that like, you can't, you can't force anything. I think in life in general, you got to just really learn for me right now. I'm like a lot of this new album too. Like, it's just about letting go and like, and just, and just rolling with the punches that life has to offer. And so like, I try not to think too much of why things are working out or why that show years ago went well. And, um, and just trust that it's unfolding the way that it's meant to. Um, I don't know. So it's funny. Like yeah. you asked that question. Like, I don't, I don't really know why that day particularly like worked out the way it did, but I'm not, but it's, mem it. <laughs> but it's memorable to you. And I love that. Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Unlike any other apps, SeatGeek makes buying tickets super simple. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. 
what's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's step into the second quarter. And one of my favorite, because we talk about adversity and assists, and I don't think any great story, and I say this all the time, isn't told without both the adversity and the assists. And so focusing on the adversity, and I know we can tap into some of the stuff that's going to come, that is coming, has come through your new album, but it all derived from somewhere. When it, when you're out there in the public as you are, when there's so much music in the world and there's already a standard, right? Like there are many standards actually. And depending on who's the listener and what geographic location you are, like all those factors actually contribute to how people feel about your music. When were the times or how did you deal with quote unquote, like in your new singles, you talk about the the lows. Talk about some of those lows as you're starting your music career. And the reason for that, as I assume a lot of folks that listen to Quartide Conversation, maybe folks that are either in the music industry, somewhat attached to the music industry or music lovers by way of, and even by way of sport itself. So when you talk about those lows, what were those pivotal points of adversity, if you could remember or share any, that you knew you were better for afterwards? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, there's so many, honestly. There's, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's... I mean, for starters, I just think that sheer pressure of being worried about, I mean, just, just to start, like not even, not even the general public for me, it was always like, what are my friends going to think about this music I'm making? What are my parents going to think? What are like my inner circle in my life? Like, what are they going to think? And I realized that like, what am I just going to be concerned with everyone's thoughts about me my whole life? Or am I just going to say for the back of lack of a better term, like fuck it and just go for what I want to go for. Like, I, I don't know when it was, but I just sort of had that, like, I can't keep holding on to people's opinions sort of moment at one one point in my life. And I think it was early on in making my music. I just, I got to a point where I was like, what do I value more? Do I value like pursuing what I love more or do I value what people are going to say about me? Um, and I had to go with wow. my gut and my gut told me doing what I love. And so like, I think that is a big problem. I mean, and I, I still deal with it. Like there's certain certain song topics now that I speak on that like I get a little vulnerable and I want to make sure that like the people in my life aren't offended by it or they take it the right way that I want them to take it and 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 all that stuff. But just in general, like first half of this answer I'll give you is like people's opinions um, were really tough to get over and just have that assurance that like, as long as I'm happy, that's, that's the most thing I can, uh, that's the best thing I can focus on and, and life's too short. So, um, yeah, I just, I just trusted my inner sort of my inner narrative and, and, and heart and, um, just kept going with it. So that is something I still deal with, but it was tough. Um, I just think 
I also went through a lot of like anxiety and depression moving out to LA after, after living in Michigan my whole life and being in a new environment and meeting new people. Um, I was lucky to have um, my, well, my wife now, but at the time we were dating and she actually moved out here for work and I was lucky to have her and have a, a support system here to, to fall back on similar to like my family in Michigan because uh, LA can definitely be, I mean, people probably know this and still is a very cold place if you're trying to pursue something and it's not the most community-based atmosphere. It's, it's, it's very individualistic. And, and so it's good to have some people out here that you can fall back on. So um, yeah, that when I first got out here, I just dealt with a lot of mental health stuff. And I, I still do. But as I get older, I'm learning to deal with it and learning to like channel that stuff into my music, into my art, into um, and to really like use it for the better. And, and um, yeah, uh, I, what is, I, I just, go ahead. When you have that, um, that ability to channel and, I, and the reason this, this has come up in so many of course that conversation podcasts, whether it's an athlete and an artist in their own rights, a public figure, it's like there, there no, no story that's shared is not without understanding mental well-being, right? What, how, mm -hmm. how you feel and what you're thinking in the midst of who you are relative to what's going on around you and who's around you. And I think one of the things for me that's so pivotal is that understanding how do you deal with it? Like if I don't have an outlet as music, like I, I'm definitely not musically inclined. God knows. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a gift and you have that gift and you have that ability. But outside of what your gift is, what do you do in those moments that you are feeling anxious or you are dealing with some of those lows? Like what is that? What is your, what does your day look like? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in the past it's been, I still take medication. In the past though, it was, no, it was normally just, okay, where's my medicine? I'll take something. But then like, let me go on YouTube. Let me, let me like watch a, a video that like calms me down. Let me like, mm. let me text someone, uh, like my wife or someone who can like give me some words of wisdom. But basically what I'm saying is like, it was a lot of running from that feeling. And now I've learned to really sit with it. And, and, and I, I think like, we're always told, um, and, in our, like our natural sort of reaction, like our fight or flight response is to always, is to run from adversity. And I think the second that we actually just stop and look it dead in the eyes, whether, whether that's anxiety or depression or, or anything and just mm -hmm. be with it, because I think those feelings just want to be acknowledged. They don't, they don't, that resistance and running away is what causes the ongoing struggle. And I just think, <laughs> I think I'm just getting to a point where I've dealt with it so much in my life that I'm just tired. And, and ironically, the second that I just stopped running is when everything sort of just to subdue and just, just to calm down. And that's a lot of what this album is about. It's just like slowing down and just being, not becoming, but just being, being in the moment and being your authentic self, whatever that means, whether that means you have anxiety today or you're sad or you're uh, really happy and you're talking to everybody on the street, like just embracing what life has to give you and not labeling it as bad or negative and just knowing that it's there for a greater purpose. Um, and so I've gotten way better at that. And, and again, used to run from a lot of that stuff, but now it's more like I'm just welcoming it. And I don't think anything is inherently bad or, or good. I think it's just how we, how we react to it is what gives it its, its, uh, power or its label. So I'm learning to just, yeah, you know, just, just welcome everything. And, and, and not, not saying I don't want to, if something is, if, if I'm feeling bad, I, I still will get out of the house and, you know, do things that make me feel better. But, yeah. but 
I'm not looking at those feelings as like, oh my God, this, what, this is terrible. I need to get rid of it. Like just, you know, just looking at everything as innocent and just, and just being with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, again, I think that it's so important to share these because I think just as a human, no matter how public you are, we're all going through it. And I think the more we yeah. can normalize and normalization comes through conversation, the more we can normalize it and say, Hey, like everybody deals with their own individual stuff, but we are all dealing with something. And this is how it looks for me. Um, and that's why I think, which is so not to compare the two, but I think some of the most read content is a how to content, like how to do this. Is someone telling you how to do something because yeah. you want us to have purview into someone's life on how do they deal with or how do they do or what do they do around these things. And so I really do appreciate you sharing that. And I, I agree. Um, I was just in a podcast interview and someone was like, you talk so fast. And I do think that there is a difference between, you know, being fast, talking fast, thinking fast, and then like moving fast. So, so fast that you're not aware of what you feel or how you feel. And so I appreciate yeah. that you mentioned that because it was like a grounding moment of no matter how fast I talk, move or do, it's not too fast enough to just check in with myself and how I'm feeling. Um, I don't think, I don't think you talk fast, by the way. I think you really, I, yeah, I actually, I actually think I talk fast. So no. I think you're pretty chill. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to, let me tell you, I'm take that compliment. I'm going to the bank because I mean, <laughs> in the last podcast that I just interviewed someone, I was, I was being interviewed. They said it like five times and I started feeling you know, we talk about what people think of us. I started yeah. feeling so self-conscious yeah, about yeah. my my entire being. I was like, yeah. I shut down. I'm like, okay, how yeah. slow do we, you know, I started getting very hyper aware. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's so funny. I was talking with um, a friend of mine, Tracy, who uh, she does like for any artist and like, you know, someone promoting stuff, you do like media training and stuff. And she, mm -hmm. one of the things she told me, she's a, she's like a media training coach. And one of the things she told me, she's like, if you're too focused, like in this, you know, right now, if, if, if all I was doing was thinking about like, how do I look or like, okay, Ali's saying this, but like, what am I getting? What's my next response? Like, mm. I, I'm not, I'm not being my best self. Like I'm not, I'm not giving this interview the most potential it can have. And, and I'm, I'm wasting your time. Like, like I, I've just, I've learned that like valuing myself and being present and not overthinking, but just feeling everything and being with everything it benefits everything around me. And, and I think if, if we're too hyper aware sometimes, and like you just said, like, cause I do it so much. Like if someone tells me I talk fast, I'm, I'm just answering the next question, like really slow and deliberately. Yes. And I'm, I'm not even thinking about what I'm saying. Cause I'm just worried on the tempo of it. And then it starts not to make sense. And, you know, so like just trying to realize that like self-aware or, or self-care is not, it's not selfish. It's actually like, inclusive for everyone around you and everything. And so for us to take care of ourselves and be aware of what we're like, just to slow down and stuff like that rubs off on everyone. And yeah. um, I'm, I'm happy you said that. Yeah. Cause it's Thank just, you. it's a good reminder. I know. Yeah. I came in too and I was like, Oh boy, I'm going to start talking fast to get <laughs> so hyper aware, but let's talk about the assists. There are folks in our lives that have contributed greatly to our success. We get nowhere alone, really. Um, we, you know, Peloton for many years, we talk about together, we go far. And I realize no matter, even if you're an individual sport, whether you're a tennis player, a golf player, you still have your team. You still have your quote unquote love squad. And for you, when you think of that turning point in your career, because I can imagine as someone to get signed, whether you're getting signed as a model, whether you're getting a new job, whether you're getting signed as an artist, to get signed, 2017 Columbia Records, like there had to be some no's or some like not nouns 
that you had to deal with. And so mm-hmm. who were those folks in that point in your life as you're making that transition of kind of taking your career, not necessarily professional, but it being labeled a little bit more like getting that label of being with a record company. Mm-hmm. Who were those folks in your life that, that handed you, not handed you, but, but what was the assist that gave you that pass? Totally. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, I mean, for starters, uh, my manager, Jesse, he, I mean, he's just like such a hardworking guy. He, it's really special because when I was first sort of like getting my name out there into the, into the industry and like labels were getting aware of me, like he was also managing me as like, I was the first artist he had ever managed before. So we were Uh learning together. We were sort of neck and neck in that, in that process. And that's really special, I think, when you can um, when you can do something, but you're at the same point in your life as your partner in that process, and you're both you're both looking for the same outcome, but you're both learning just as the other is learning. And um, it felt like we were always on that same even page of like, hey, we're just going to do this, and we're confident with what we're doing, but we're just going to see what happens. And I think it was a really special time in our lives because we were very naive and just very hard. I mean, we're still hardworking, but we, we were just, we were just trying out stuff. We didn't have any, we didn't have any like preconception of like the music industry didn't have any connections to it. We just, you know, wanted to just do what we did as best as we could. And, um, the rest is history kind of, um, another person I want to mention is, uh, my buddy, Alex, who goes by AOK, who is a producer and artist, but he was the first, I've known him since like the third grade, but he was like the first mm-hmm. person that really took my like music seriously as like a, a collaborator and um, he would record all my music from an early age and like ended up producing his own beats. And we ended up making our first or my first EP together. And uh, again, like wasn't someone who had like a bunch of years into the industry. He was just a fresh, like new face, just like I was. And I think we all just sort of like went for it. And to be able to go through that process with people around you, you really value and and think highly of is, is, um, something that I don't take for granted. Cause a lot of people go into this industry with like alone and solo, and they're just, they're trying yeah. to create a, a team around them of, of strangers really. But I, I was lucky enough to like have my good friends with me. And, um, and so, yeah, so the, the assist goes to both. Okay. You met in third grade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Third grade. Jesse, how did you meet? I met Jesse actually at, uh, Jesse's wife, now wife, uh, Becca, she was a friend of mine at Michigan State and Jesse was dating her and Jesse was a bit older. So he was actually not at school or he wasn't a student at the time, but I was like doing like my little, like, I was like a rapper to begin with. So I had like a, like a mixtape out and Becca was like a fan and I was playing like a local show down the street uh, on campus. And she was like, Jesse, you have to come into town and, and come to my friend Mike's show because you know I think you love him and she knew he was trying to like manage like a like a singer songwriter artist of yeah. some sort uh, and the rest is history yeah so there you I don't go know. yeah yeah shout out to Becca for sure that, actually yeah. that's the third assist that's the third assist three assists I love yeah. that I love that yeah. I love I will say like the adversity and the assist for me is just always so grounding it's like what did you have to deal with and then who were those folks that helped you along the way because no one really gets anywhere by themselves so yeah. thank you for yeah. sharing that for sure all right let's um let's step into halftime we have a short little quick halftime a little fire rapid a little this or that and I know it's called rapid fire but I just call it fire rapid and whatever comes to mind. So a couple questions. First thought, best thought. Sounds good. Okay, sweet. All right. Movies or TV shows? 
Oh, geez. Uh, I First know, question, he's stuck. Yeah. I love it. You're like, you know what? Give me a minute. <laughs> uh, I would say movies. Okay. Uh, day or night? Day. Favorite movie? The Grand Budapest Hotel. We have to West talk about that. So yes, that is amazing. I love any movie about a train that happens on a train or hotel or boat. Anyways. Really? Uh, yes. Like all the murder <laughs> mysteries that happen on a boat, a train, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a hotel. Yeah. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Waffles or pancakes? I always say there's only one answer. Pancakes. Oh, thank goodness. I was nervous. I thought this relationship, like we just started this friendship. We're good. But we're, we're fortifying good. now. We're good. We're good. Um, okay. Reading a book, like a hardcover book or listening to a book? Reading a book. Collaboration or solo track? Oh, geez, that's really tough, actually. Uh, I would say collaboration. Okay. Writing the track, like writing the song, the music, or singing it? Like you can't do both. You have to pick one. Singing it. Okay. Since you grew up with soul music, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you, I'm gonna hit you hard now. So you, you ready? (laughs) Okay. Shaka Khan or Anita Baker? Anita Baker. I actually went to school with Anita Baker's son. So that's easy. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll take both, but this is, I love this. Yeah. I'm going to hit yeah. you with another one. Tina Turner, Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. Oh gosh. Let's do, let's do. <laughs> Was that the wrong answer? More. No, I love, I mean, honestly, there was I mean, no wrong answer. Yeah. yeah but I, yeah. I, I, I love Whitney Houston. I've done two Whitney Houston rides at Peloton. Like I, I, there's no eighties class without a Whitney song. There's no probably nineties class without a Whitney song. Like I just end up putting Whitney in every class basically. Yeah. Is my yeah, life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking let's, ooh, this is going to be a little bit of a clash of the decades, but Smokey Robinson, Cruisin' mm. or D'Angelo Cruisin'. Same song, different decades, different artists, still soul music. Uh, ooh, I would say Smokey Robinson, Cruisin'. Didn't okay. he do, didn't him and Anderson Pack do like a remix of that or like something similar? Of cruising, I don't know, I don't I don't know, know but I, I would assume you're you know all the good stuff. Now I got to look that up. I need I to actually get. Up. I need. To, I'm not that. I'm not that um, familiar with D'Angelo's music. I need to. My drummer Patty always gives me shit because she's she's also like like thicking through just like a soul fan and like yeah. she's she's always mentioned D'Angelo to me. But I need to get in. That's like love. That's like baby making music though. So I need to like I need to figure. I out agree. Some time to I agree. To yeah. And it's kind of weird because I was like thinking of when did I listen to D- D'Angelo all the time? It was when I moved yeah. away from home into college, and I was like, whoa, that that I wasn't doing anything bad, but or or good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But it's it's one of the things that came to mind. All right, let's go yeah. ahead and step into the third quarter. Let's get into the meat and bones of. Okay, you just I mean new album or new record here the people's champ i saw on social media and many of us saw kind of like that open letter that you wrote about the album where mm-hmm. it's like this is the album this is what i'm talking about this is where it stems from you're able to communicate like we talked about in the very beginning of the podcast in a vulnerable way but communicate in a thorough way about how you've been feeling you have features from chelsea cutler um mm-hmm. friend of yours and then big sean as well let's talk about this now I would like to go to the genesis, making a decision in my mind. I'm no artist, but please correct me. Making the decision to create something new is almost, again, in my opinion, scary. How do you decide that it's time to do that? Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. I think, so I, I don't, I don't know. There's not like, I don't think there's a, a right time 
to make something. There's not a right or wrong time to like make a new project. I think, I think it's all intuition and, and, and again, I know that's a bit of a cliche answer, but I think only, you know, that answer. Like, I think, Mm. I think when you make a project, it's all about capturing inspiration and lightning in a bottle. And, and like, it's funny, there's, there's an artist, John Bellion, who's amazing. And, uh, uh, someone I've worked with and he, he describes it as like catching like squiggles in the skies. Like ideas are just like little things floating by and you have to, you have to like wrangle it down and then turn it into something. And so like, you know, I, I think there's not, I'm not always ready to make a project. Like making an album is a really, it's very like, it's an exciting process, but it's really, really, really emotionally, physically draining. And, you know, sometimes you don't even realize you're making an album when you're making it. You're, you're just riding the wave of inspiration and, and, and sort of catching those squiggles as much as you can. And yeah, you know, and so I don't know, like, I don't, I don't even know if I can give you a proper answer because I think it's all just subjective, but Um, Now understanding how your mind works, maybe if I come up with a question from the other way, have you ever been in a position where you not necessarily start a project or started writing, but you started creating and there was a moment where you just stopped and was like, that's, that's not it. Like, I'm going to put a pause on that. Was there ever a moment where you started something, started writing, started, you know, doing all the jazz. And then you were just like, actually, that's not it. That's not the vibe right now. Yeah. I mean, for this album, I probably made like six like electronic songs at what, like in a row thinking that that was what the album was going to be like. And then it just dawned, like, I don't know. It wasn't like someone was like, don't do this, but something inside was just like, this isn't it. Like, like, like you just said, like, it, you know, like, I think we all, we all have the answers as, as like, whatever we do, I think at some point our like alarm clock of like decision is going to go off and be like, okay, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like, stop it. Like your, your subconscious or whatever is going to, it's going to like interfere and be like, stop it. And for me, like, I was like, so dead set at one point in making this album dancey and electronic. And then something just hit me one day was like, cut it out. Like yours, not that that's bad, but this album was supposed to be something different. of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer podcast to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. So you in the studio, you you have this moment, you have like basically this, I always call them visceral reactions, where it's like an, yeah. it's, it's a neuromuscular connection, right? Your body is responding not so positively. Your mind's like, it's not it. So you're just like, boom, that's the decision making. I'm going to follow it. You go back into the studio or you're, you know, you're, you're in the lab in a sense, like writing again. Yeah. What is that like from make? I don't know. So for the folks that are listening, again, I don't make music to make electronic music. I think takes a different, I would assume takes a different type of energy, a different type of task. And then taking that shift, what does that shift look like? Where's your inspiration coming from? Like, how do you just change? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think to make electronic, for example, to make something like that, I, I mean, A, it depends on who you're working with. Uh, for me, like, I'm not, I'm not producing. I'm just write like song, like mm-hmm. writing lyrics and singing. So I'm actually very dependent on collaborators and producers. And so for a while, I was working with a particular person and it was great. I thought we were making, and that's the irony is that we were actually making really good songs, in my opinion. Um, but I don't know what it was that just came about where I was just like, it's not, it's not, it's not hitting my, like pulling my heartstrings the way that I thought this album was going to. And, um, and and it's funny, like, I think no matter what I think an album is supposed to sound like by the end of it, I always trust that, that it turns out the way it was supposed to. And I can look back at all the albums I've made and, and been very satisfied with it, even though like, like I've gone into trying to make in like a full on, like, blues album or like, which I still want to do by the way, but, but like, you know, I, I just trust that like the stuff I'm doing is happening at the right pace. And so in, but your question of like, what was my new inspiration? Like, what was my switch? I went from like making electronic happy dance songs to, to listening to just like Leon Bridges and like who else, Sam Cooke and, um, and Jack Johnson and like all these just different, different singers, but had a very, very different background than electronic. And, and then I just got into a different shift and I was like, I just, I feel called to make something that's a bit more natural sounding. And, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I just went with it. it it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, I, I probably sound ridiculous, but yeah, it's just all about like, yeah. uh, following the flow of creativity. And I know for sure that I come up with like, I made like 60 songs for this album and I only had 12 out. So like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I made a lot of, I made a lot of stuff and it's just about, I don't know. It's just about like riding that wave as long as you can before you feel like you're about to like drown. And, and, and for me, I got to a place where I was like, I can't make any more music. Like I just gotta, I gotta stop. And as artists, it's hard to like pull the plug and be like, okay, we're done. Um, mm-hmm. cause you feel like you can always do better and you can always create more. Um, but I just, yeah, my team was like, okay, you're, you're, you're probably good. <laughs> so I trust they gave their, you. Uh, they advice. gave you the um advice of just like, hey, let's like let's let's chill out here. Yeah, yeah. Like you're yeah. you're doing well. I wanna one of the things and I wanna ask you about this. So it, it, you posted about five days ago and you gave a bit of an explanation around the people's champ, right? Like it was dropping at midnight. It was this is mm-hmm. a few minutes before the drop. What was the impetus of like, I'm going to before it drops, I'm gonna give you insight to my Inside to my, my thoughts, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes people drop music and they just wait for the folks to experience it and see what's that experience for you. Whereas I feel like for you, which was quite lovely is that you were like, I, I'm actually going to give you behind the scenes. So as you are experiencing it, you have context. 
Mm-hmm. Where did that, where, where did that decision stem from? Like, how did you come to that conclusion? Or was mm-hmm. it that just also a feeling like you're like, I'm just going to do this. I think it was, I, I think I wanted to give a proper explanation of what the album title was. Um, I think on the surface level, it's very, the whole, the whole rollout of the album was very like sports related. And mm-hmm. the people, the people, the people's champ is sort of a double entendre where like, it, it, it's a reference to me always feeling like the underdog. And even though this is my fifth album, just like still feeling like I'm fighting for my stripes a bit and having to prove myself, um, which I do still really believe, but I wanted to explain the other side of it. And that's why, that's why I felt called to like, give that, give that Instagram post moment of like, you know, what was it like? I don't know, five paragraphs or something. I'd like yeah. a, a, a description of what the, what the album meant to me. And, um, I just thought I, I thought it was very important to outline the deeper message of the album and 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 to get that across to people. Um, I, I've just I've I've spoken to so many fans in the past and gotten so many messages about people's hardships and 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 you know low moments in their lives and, and how my music has helped them. And so I just think through all of that, I've learned that being as transparent as possible with people is is, is so important. And you never know what someone's going through. So I wanted to make sure I explained the what this album meant to me before it came out, just, just to even like help your listening experience, like have that message in the back of your mind before clicking play on the first song. Um, but what that means to me is really just like the people's champ is just a reminder that you and your authentic self, like I was saying to you earlier, like in whatever Mm -hmm. shape, shape or form that is, whether it's you happy one day or sad or or joyful or whatever, like it, it's, it's perfectly fine. And it's actually everything that you've ever wanted. And I think we're so conditioned to reach out and want more stuff, but we, we rarely just look inward and, and sit with who we already are, which is the people's champ. Like you already are your own champion. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just think like you've already won. I think that's another great message that we're going to have printed on sweatshirts. It's like, you've already, you've already got like, like there's no more searching. There's no more seeking. And I think I got to a point in my life of, of realizing that. So I just wanted to make an album that represented that. I will say that was the line that stuck out for me. It was, if there's something I want you to realize from this new album, it's this. You are already what you're looking for. And then in capital letters, you say already. So stop yeah. searching. Yeah. And the reason that resonates with me too is because I, we were talking to Seth Curry and it's he mimicked the exact same thing of, you know what? I just have to recognize that I'm enough. Like what I can do and my skill sets are more than enough. They're more than good enough. And I think no matter if you're on a global stage or you're just, you know, in your house and, and you only, mm-hmm. and you, your exposure is only your family. It's understanding and us having that, not even, I won't even just say confidence, but just like that self love to say what yeah. you have to offer is more than enough. And I think being able to, to feel that especially through this music, especially through what you've created is very, very special. And it's not, it's not common. And that's Mm -hmm. what it is. It's not as common. Like you listen to me, we talked about baby making music a little bit ago. You (laughs) listen to music, you know, a dance, like you were saying, EDM dance track. Like it's, you get, you get songs to make you bop. You get songs to put you in the mood. You get songs to vibe out with. You get songs to tune out. You get songs to sing along. Like it has this vibe. I love, and I am super attracted, which which I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm super attracted to songs that make you feel good about who you are. Mm. And that's the music you're making. I love that. Thank Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's what I tried to do, man. I mean, like, thank thank you for saying that. Like you, you had, you answered it better than I probably could. (laughs) No, no, I just think like uh, similar to what you said about your, your conversation with Seth Curry. Like, I think even understanding that like, we're all, 
not to get too deep, but like we're almost like our own colors in like this giant painting of life. Like everyone has their own role in what is happening here. And just to embrace what what, what we already have and what we already are and and knowing that you're already enough. And um it's it's a really powerful thing to understand. And and I'm just trying to I'm trying to get better at reminding myself of that. So hopefully okay. the album does that. Yeah. Now, before we get into the fourth quarter and the final quarter, I want to ask you, how was it collaborating Big Sean, Chelsea Color? Like, how was that? Give us an inside look to the collaboration process with them. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. I think Chelsea, for for starters, is someone that I've like, I've known forever now. And, yeah. and she's like a sister to me. And, 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 and working with her has become so natural. And um, with that song, Let Me Down, that's on the album, it was just something that we made together in the studio uh and it, i i think it was actually meant for me but but she was helping writing it and i was just like hey dude do you want to just hop on the second verse and just be a part of it um and, and and our relationship is at that point where i can just ask her that or just text her like we've we've i've made songs in the past where i've just sent to her and texted her and be like hey do you want to you know get on this and she's also not afraid to be like this sucks don't know i don't you know, like like we're actually at that point where you know, we can share each other um, ideas that we've come up with and and really give like honest feedback, which is, again, a rare thing, I think, to find in music, so to have another artist of her stature that can can really tell me what she thinks and 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 not not like uh, beat around the bush. And, and I need that. Definitely. I need that clarity of uh, like once in a while. Um, yeah. So she's amazing. I love her to death. She's she's great. But with Big Sean, um, that was actually a song that I, I my business manager also represents him. Um, and I, I've been joking to him for years now. I was like, get me connected with Big Sean, get me connected with Big Sean. And he never did it. And then I sent him the song Common that is now on the album. And I was like, mm-hmm. I think Sean would sound great on this. And the next day I woke up to me on a group chat with him and, and Sean and, and, uh, yeah, just like manifested that for years and just it like somehow it came into fruition. So no, but he um he just laid his verse down and then sent it back to me. But then we actually got to meet in person uh, for the music video, and he's the sweetest guy. Very very down to earth. Um, very like very much of what we've discussed in this conversation. He he embodies that a lot. He's very in tune with like his self, and he's very self aware. And 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 I think he's done a lot of uh, a lot of inner work, um, as I can tell, like over the years of what he posts on social media and um i've even got like book recommendations from him like he's just very like he's very in touch with his deeper side and and i i for some of his level i really i really uh admire that and definitely look up to him so and just him being from detroit too it's always been like a dream to work work together so it was a huge bucket list for me yeah that's what i was waiting for too i was like but also aren't you both from the same place yeah yeah home yeah like i grew up like he was like my like in college like only we're playing big sean so like my friends freaked out when they when they found out that I was working with him. So um, I still have to pinch myself that 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 even that that happened. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just it's crazy. So like yeah, I mean super right. super lucky. Yeah, yeah. Let's roll into the fourth quarter, fourth and final qu- quarter. And I want to talk about in two aspects. You have a tour coming up, international tour. Mm. So first aspect on a physical level, how do you prepare for this? And the reason this comes up because I got to sit down with Usher 
um, not too long ago and talk about this too. Like being an artist is very physical. You got to get on stage. You talked about a 30 minute set where you did a bunch of songs, you know, back in the day when you first started. That's physically taxing. Even if you imagine standing in one spot, it's still physically taxing. So there has to be some physical training and preparation that goes into, into it, you know, especially like you said, I know you're a sports guy, the people's champ. Like these are all things and elements that play a role. How do you prepare physically for an international tour? I think it's a lot of, you know, I, I, I could probably, I, I don't think I'm on Usher's level of, uh, <laughs> of this, I'm not on Usher's level. Work. He just dances all day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that dude, that dude's just like, yeah, chiseled. And I, I think uh, we have definitely different body types, but I think, uh, I think for me, it's more like, I definitely try to get, it's cool though, because like my, my, my physical exercise is like, is the performance. So mm. I get a lot of cardio in during the show, but, but to answer your question, like, how do I prep for that? I think for me, it's like adequate amounts of sleep. It's healthy eating. It's, it's like inner work. And I try to meditate like every day before a show and just sort of get into that mindset of like, just, just being, it, it's, it's amazing because that, that hour or hour and a half that I'm on stage is, it, it is like a meditative experience. And I'm very present. I'm very like in the moment and just focused. Um, but I want to make sure I'm walking on stage with a clear head and, and no distractions and stuff. So for me, it's actually, it's less like weightlifting and it's more just centering myself a bit and like just, just calming down and, and just really making sure that I can give the people uh, who come into my shows like the best version of me every night. Um, because I definitely, I definitely don't take for granted that you know people spend their hard-earned money to come see me mm-hmm. run around stage for you know an hour <laughs> and a half. It's it's bizarre. So I want to make sure that like you know I'm doing the most that I can to to make them leave with a smile on their face. So yeah, but I, I gotta get on, I gotta get Usher's workout plan because he's, he'll probably. <laughs> I've never seen someone who dance so much. Like he'll just be walking and bust out on a dance. I've really never seen it. Yeah. Um, this is the second part of that question and, and pretty much one of my second to last questions here. In terms of most times we talk about ramping up for a show, which is what you talked about doing that inner work, you know, um, doing the meditation, but coming down from a show, I can just imagine the, the, it, we talk about the ramp up, but the coming down, right? Mm-hmm. The cool down, the descending recovery in some regards actually in itself is also work. How mm-hmm. do you decompress after you, cause being on stage is exhilarating. You have energy of so many people. Energy is contagious. You got energy bouncing like vibrations yeah. all around you. What does that like decompression look like? It's I, so I have like a, just for my voice, for example, I have like a cool down warm up that I'll do. Uh, not a warm up, cool down, which is like 10 minutes of me just like holding out like long notes that just kind of relax your vocal cords. Um, and what that does is it just like, it, it's basically stretching your vocal cords. Like after you would, you know, do a, I don't know, hour long bike ride, like you're going to want to yeah. stretch your hamstrings out. You want to do all that stuff. Yeah. So it's the same thing for me as, as a singer. Um, but I definitely like set aside, like if I get off stage, I definitely take like five, at least five minutes of just alone time, like, you know, towel over my head, just like letting, letting my body naturally come back to that place of rest. Because you're right. It's like, it's like running around and your adrenaline is at an all time high. Like it's, it really is the most natural high to be on stage and, and to perform. And when you get off stage, it can be a bit jarring to be like, to go from thousands of people like freaking out to then a quiet green room with no one around you, mm-hmm. you're, it, it, it can be a bit of a, like a, of a psyche, like, um, like roller coaster there. So I try and make sure that like, 
I don't hop from stage to another crazy scenario. I definitely have to like smoothen into each, like if I get off stage, I definitely make sure I sit, I don't say anything. I don't speak to anyone. I just sort of let my body come down naturally, drink water. Um, definitely hydrate is important and just, yeah. And just, just, just like naturally let my body get to back to its place of like square one. Um, cause it is weird. It's like, yeah, I ramp like, I'm definitely a more heightened version of myself on stage compared to how I am off stage. Like I'm definitely not shouting in my everyday life as much as I do when I'm on stage. Yeah. So, you know, just like my, I think my body's got to a point where it's like used to it, but yeah, it's like, uh, just a matter of just, you know, sitting with the, sitting with that emotion and just letting it subside naturally. Um, yeah. As we, um, conclude our courtside conversation, could you bless us with one of those? What does a cool down note sound like? Like, Oh, geez. It's like, okay. Gosh, Allie, you really put I can go time. first. If you, I'll, you know what? I will set the bar so low. If I had a, if there was a sound for me to cool down, it would be like, Ooh. no, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. A, I don't even know. No, I'll, I'll, I'll embarrass myself. I'll embarrass, but this is like, cause you have to make weird noises too. Oh. Uh, there's certain, there's certain vowels you have to hit in order to like, stretch your vocal cord but you have there's this gut so you have to like sound, you have to like make a sound like you're drinking water it's yeah 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 and it's you sound like an idiot yeah so uh-huh. I, I do this when i'm alone um but Thank you for putting me on the spot. Now I can share it uh, with you. know all what? Your, yeah. That's the point of courtside conversation. We get some of the stuff that you don't hear everywhere yep. in all of the articles and other press outlets. So yep. again, yep. Quinn92, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. I've learned so much about you. And I do think always having a deeper perspective of someone or insight into someone's life provides the experience of their music, their performance, um, their games that much yeah. more richer. So thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking a seat with me, Courtside. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ellie. I appreciate it. It was great talking to you. I think actually before I go, I think I, yeah. I've done like three of your classes on, <gasps> on Peloton. Yeah. 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 Thank yeah. you. So, yeah. Thanks for, I mean, thanks for you just being positive. I know you have changed so many lives and just keep doing your thing. You're like a beacon of light in this world. So keep, keep doing it. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. You're the best. Yeah. All right, y'all. Allie Love out. I'll see you next time. Next conversation. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to to start listening.